Let's talk about Venom. Now, I'm going to be honest, when I first saw the trailer for Venom back in 2018, I was really excited. Unlike, I suppose, a lot of cinephils, I actually love superhero movies. I love all superhero movies. I find a lot of enjoyment out of them. Now, most of them I don't think are very good films. I'm perhaps one of the few filmmakers that thinks The Joker is a genuinely well-made film, although perhaps part of the reason people don't like The Joker is just to be counterculture and to just say, oh, it's a bad film because we like this or we like that, where I think Joker has actually a lot to say about a lot of things. And I enjoy most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I have on here talked about many DCEU films, including Batman vs. Superman and the well-newer Justice League, which I both think are fine films. I think they're fun films. And coming into this film, I was pretty excited. I knew it had really bad reviews, but I don't really trust reviewers that much, which is, I recognize a little bit ironic being a reviewer myself. But typically when people say films are this bad, they really never are. I mean, people said Ready Player One, you go into like Rot Tomatoes, that likes a 60 or 70%, and I think that's one of the worst movies I have ever seen or ever experienced. And this wasn't that. I actually found this film to be very enjoyable. So let's get into it. So we open the film on a sort of space scene, which is just boring and dull and a giant waste of time. Like just cut straight to the scene where you're in, you're right, the, the comet has crashed. Like everything before that is just unnecessary and just feels padded. It, it doesn't feel like it adds anything to the story here. We know it's from space. Just start with the spacecraft. I think that's a much more interesting place to start. And then we get our villain who well, villain, which is part of the complication of this film, because it's not really clear who the good guy is or who the bad guy is, but our you know, villain is Riz Ahmed, which amazing that you get an actor like Riz Ahmed to do something like this, and the fact that not only did he do it, but he gave it his all, as he always does, makes for a better film. And I think one of the things that works about this film is you have some really great actors working with a script that let's be honest, it's not the best script in the world, and it's not really a problem with the story. It's more with the problem of writing. It feels like a 16-year-old wrote this film. In fact, I remember putting in my letterbox review that it a lot of times feels like a $200 million kids film. And in my kids film, I don't mean a film made for kids. I mean a student film. It feels like it was made by an 18, 19, 20-year-old kid who really didn't know what they were doing. There are scenes where you can actually see the lights in the background. Very clear and simple mistakes that you just wouldn't see in a modern $200 million film, and yet you see it in this film, which is weird, and I don't really understand why. But we crash onto Earth, and Riz Ahmed's like, oh, we need to get these things, and they're like, oh, we're going to get them, except one of them escapes. And we kind of see how this uh, parasite, I suppose, or alien thing works, and that, we learn later, is Carnage. So Carnage kind of gets away, but the others are concealed in these containers, and they're taken to Riz Ahmed's whatever space thing. That's kind of the end of the beginning scene, which is a fine opening scene, 
but like so many superhero films, I think it wants to hold your hand, much like Steven Spielberg, or perhaps even more so a James Cameron, really wants to hold your hand and tell you exactly how things work. I think that's a little much. I think if this film, you know, in a lot of ways, this film actually feels very similar to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man series, which I know people are going to get up in arms about because people are like, Sam Raimi made the greatest Spider-Man series of all time. It's okay. I don't actually think they're that good of films. But one of the reasons that I admire those films is they made superhero films when there really weren't superhero films, which means when people went to see those films, they didn't really understand what superheroes were or how they really worked. There weren't comic book books kind of had died off. There's a reason that Sony was able to buy Spider-Man because Marvel had to start selling its characters because they couldn't afford to have any of these characters anymore. They just literally could not afford to make these films and Sony was able to do that and made a lot of money out of it. And it feels like that at times in the sense that it feels like it needs to explain things to the audience that a modern audience doesn't need to know. It's kind of like an audience watching a Western today. There are certain tropes that we as viewers just understand. There are certain things you just don't need to explain, under, or explain I should say, that you would have to explain back in, say, the 30s and 40s. You work, look at John Ford's early work, and there's a lot of more explaining because Westerns, to them, was still sort of a new phenomenon and a new genre. But much like the Western genre, we are deep in the depths of the superhero genre. There are certain things that just don't really need to be explained. And sort of explaining how Venom kind of got to Earth is kind of a waste of time. I think the whole opening scene really doesn't add anything. And there's this weird thing where, like, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be, like, someone's body cam or what have you. But, it, I mean, it literally looks like they use an iPhone camera. And not even a good iPhone. Like, I'm not even talking about, you know, an iPhone 10, 11, or 12. I'm talking, like, an iPhone 4. Like, the footage is crummy and the lighting is terrible and cheap and looks like they just put no effort into it and just randomly kind of moved it around. I really don't know what that adds to the film. That's another thing I'll say about the film is the gaffing is just horrendous, which again is just really unfortunate. And I guess if you're going to you know, compare it to say a Marvel film, yes, Marvel films refuse to sort of take any actions and they and by that I mean they, they don't really take risks. And only recently have they took any risk, and even with, say, a Taika Waititi, who's a very particular type of director, you can see they still honed him in a lot, and they said, you know, if you watch Thor Ragnarok and you watch all of his other films, it's very different from all his other films, because Marvel, well, they have a formula, and they want to keep that formula, which is perfectly fine. I understand why you want to have that specific kind of formula, but that formula it can get pretty old pretty fast. And once you've seen one Marvel movie, you've kind of seen all of them. There's very little differences. You know, you might have, say, your exception here or there with, say, a Black Panther or you know, a Doctor Strange or certainly a Thor Ragnarok. But even those still pretty much fit into what has already been the mold of filmmakers or films, cinematic universe, whatever you really want to call it. And this film in Venom, I think it does allow for certain risks, which is interesting, but it also, it seems like wherever Warner Brothers or Sony were, they weren't on set, because a lot of this just looks 
bad. I mean, I remember I watched Murder Party the day before, which again I talked about on here, and you can tell that that was a really cheap film, and you knew it was a cheap film. And sure, the gaffing was bad, but to be honest, the gaffing on that film was better than this, which there is no excuse for. And Murder Party, there's an excuse for bad gaffing because you have a really cheap film on a really short amount of time and just a small budget. This had hundreds of millions of dollars behind it. There's no reason that this should not look good. The most frustrating thing is when an expensive movie doesn't look good. It can be a bad film. It can have all of the many things that make a bad film, but it can at the very least look good because that's so easy to do, especially in the modern era. I can make a film that looks good with you know just my iPhone. So the fact that they refuse to do that in this film is frustrating. So then we meet our protagonist, sort of, who is Eddie Brock, which, if we're being completely honest, Eddie Brock is not really a very likable guy. His fiance turned ex-fiance is pretty smart, although even though they make her a lawyer and, you know, kind of give her these modern feminist traits, she still feels like a merely a plot device. She doesn't really feel like a three-dimensional character. She doesn't really have a lot to her other than how she relates to Eddie Brock, which is disappointing because there are not many female characters in this film, and all of them seem to be subservient to male characters, which just... it's not great if, if I'm being completely honest. And so we meet Eddie Brock and kind of see a little bit of his relationship with uh, his fiancé, soon-to-be ex-fiancé, and... The problem is, is the conversations between them, there's really nothing there, especially when you have so little time before the two of them break up, because they break up in only a scene or two later, you know, within 15 minutes of the scene, every single word needs to be so important. I remember talking to a client who's making a short film, and I said, look, when you have an hour and a half long film, you have time to develop the story, you have time to say all the things you want to say. But if you're making a short film, a 10 minute film, which in a certain sense, this act, and it's really smaller than an act, right? It's, it's less than an act. It's maybe just two or three scenes is a short film. And if you only have that much time to develop this character and how they are related to Eddie Brock, every single word needs to count. And there's just a lot of meaningless talk between them that doesn't really add anything. And you don't really know how the relationship works or how the two interact before she breaks up with him. And so then we get a sort of montage of who this Eddie Brock is, and he basically feels like he plays into this kind of really lame, like typical, like, oh, I'm a badass. I, I drive a motorcycle, and I, I ask the hard questions, even though it doesn't really seem like Eddie Brock is actually that smart of a guy. Everyone keeps saying, you're so smart, and yet he never really does anything smart or says anything smart or acts in any way that's honestly even a little bit that intelligent. So... I guess we just have to take his word for it, and even during this like montage, which is not a great montage if I'm being completely honest, it's kind of a lame and cheap montage. It feels like a montage that would be created in like a middle school classroom. It does not feel like, again, a hundred million dollar film, which makes me wonder where the hell is all the money going? I guess it's going to Tom Hardy and Riz Ahmed, and they just forgot to pay for everything else. And so they, they get through this montage, and you kind of, it's fine, you know who Eddie Brock is, he's this hard-hitting reporter, and he goes to meet with his boss and says, you know, you're going to meet with uh, Riz Ahmed, obviously, what, whatever his name is in the film, the bad guy of the film. He's like, oh, but this is a really bad guy because he does all these bad things. He's like, look, all you have to do is just, like, talk to him for three minutes. Like, just easy conversation, and that's it. That's all you have to do. 
and then Eddie Brock, you know, kind of gets in a little argument with his fiance, and he's going to get something like a midnight snack, and he sees an email on her computer, and him being a terrible human being up to this point, reads her confidential, very confidential email. And then he goes in and starts reporting. He meets with Riz Ahmed, and you can tell that he's a really bad reporter. I don't want to criticize anyone on this film because, you know, anyone who has had the gumption to make a film is absolutely amazing, but the writing here is poor, and I'm not sure if it's poor because, like, the dialogue's bad, although at times the dialogue does feel weird and off, and it definitely feels like a lot of times that it's trying to be funny and it's just not, which isn't great. And sometimes you can chuckle awkwardly because you're like, oh, that's supposed to be funny. And either Eddie Brock is actually a really bad reporter, or they have no idea how reporting works or how journalists talk because it's just ridiculous and I, I kind of get the point of the argument and they eventually get to you know him challenging him and, and the real things and they shut it off and that feels very um feels very real I think of all the characters Riz Ahmed is probably the most developed character and perhaps the greatest irony uh of this film compared to the Marvel films or the DC films is this film perhaps has one of the best developed bad guys if we're being completely honest. Now, I guess if Carnage is a bad guy, he's not really well-developed, but Riz Ahmed is a developed character, and he has reasons to do what he does. He genuinely thinks that he's making the world a better place. Of course, he's naive and kind of stupid about it, but he genuinely thinks that what he's doing is the right thing, and you see his motives, and you see him doing what he, what he needs to do. Now, I do wish there was a more three-dimensional aspect to him. I do wish he would sort of struggle with these moments, especially when, say, he's killing a close friend of his. Like, I, I want him to really see him struggle, and the fact that we don't get that is, if I'm being completely honest, a little disappointing, but I will give a nod to him that a lot of DC and Marvel characters don't have, which is they're just plain evil, or even go back to Star Wars. Uh, Darth Vader is just an evil person. There's no reason or motive for him doing the things he does. He's just evil until the end when he's not evil. This character, he has some dimension to him. Now, not as many dimensions as I would like, but certainly more than none. So he shuts it off, and Eddie Brock loses everything. Now, here's an interesting moment, is after this conversation, we cut to six months later. Just like that. Which is just the laziest type of filmmaking there is. It, it does this thing multiple times in film, where at the bottom of the screen, they'll like tell you where they are, or like the time period, which is just such a lazy filmmaking. Like, you see that at the beginning of the film, like, it says where they are. Who cares? Doesn't matter. It literally adds nothing to the story. If you had just taken that off, Fine. It's just one of those things where it's like holding your hands. And the six months later thing, like have just a simple montage of the passing or time of time, or simply just cut to another scene. And we cut to Eddie Bronk basically uh, living a crummy life. He doesn't have anything anymore. Uh, his neighbor is super loud. He can't find a job anywhere. No one. He's basically lost all credit in the industry, which is. In a lot of ways, this film feels like it was written by an old man who has never met a journalist before, especially a modern journalist, because if this was a modern journalist, that wouldn't break an Eddie Brock-like character. He would use a sort of YouTube or a Twitter or an Instagram or any of these different sites too, and he'd already probably have a really good following before that, and actually would probably just make it bigger. I mean, look at Alex Jones, who's been banned for all these different websites, and yet he's super famous. Now, I'm not saying Eddie Brock's character is the same as Alex Jones, 
but if it's in the modern world, which it seems to be since they have all these modern technologies and drones and these different things, you would think at least that he would have some sort of following and be able to profit off of that, which he should be able to do, and yet he can't for some reason. Which, I mean, it's it's fine, like, if it just, like, oh, we, we need a way for him to be, like, poor. That's fine, and I get, like, banning him from, like, any media journal. But in the 21st century, it doesn't really work, which means you either need to place it in a different time, or you basically need to get him banned from YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. Which, I mean, we could buy into that Riz Ahmed uh, would have the power to do, at least his character. I keep saying Riz Ahmed as if he's the real bad guy. I'm gonna refer to him as Riz Ahmed, because I, I only know his acting his actual name, I don't know what his character's name is in the film, and to be honest, it doesn't really matter. And so he's he's going through his life, and you see his apart his like terrible apartment, which for someone who lives in San Francisco, he has a really nice apartment for someone who has not had a job in six months. So either like he comes from wealth, or just again that Hollywood poor thing, where even the poor actually have a ton of things, and they just really have no concept of what poverty is, which. Is bothersome but fine and his neighbor just plays super loud music and you know his best friend basically is this woman who works at this bodega gas station sort of thing I mean it, it, bodega-esque I, I don't know what I don't know what they're called um, in, in the Midwest we call them gas stations but without the gas I don't know like your uh, 7-eleven or that kind of deal and he sees her get robbed and he literally does nothing about it which I mean, I guess it's fair. I thought he would at least record it on his phone. Like, I thought that's what he was doing, because, like, that was... Because he was kind of, like, off to the side, and he was kind of holding his camera, or, like, his phone down. I thought he was going to, like, record it and send it to someone. He doesn't do that, which... I mean, I guess he doesn't want to get involved in any sort of, like, gang violence. So, I, I guess that's sort of fair. But it also shows, like, Eddie Brock, again, not a good person. And when he broke up with his fiance because she lost her job because, well, he did the one thing he was told not to do. Yeah, it just shows that Eddie Brock is not really that good a reporter or, honestly, that smart either. And I honestly, up to this point, before we meet Venom, I don't really feel bad for Eddie Brock and I'm not really sure if we're supposed to feel bad for him or not. He just seems like a guy who just isn't good at anything. And so for some reason, uh, one of the female doctors, the, the like lead female doctor, comes to him because they started testing on humans with the, the symbiote, and of course it's just killing them left and right, and she's like, this isn't good. So she goes to Eddie Brock, which is weird, because she could go to like any established reporter, or pretty much anyone, and be like, hey, can you get this story? So the reason, so why she would ever go to Eddie Brock just literally makes no sense at all, and maybe she's already tried other people, and it just doesn't work. I don't know. She goes to her, he's like, no, 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 but, he, but then of course after she leaves, he's standing in front of the bridge and he's like, oh, I'll do it. Although I will say when something that I didn't really understand is when he looks at her business card, it says PhD, which is weird because she's a scientist. So shouldn't she have like an MD? Actually, it, it's kind of concerning that she doesn't have an MD. And this kind of goes back to the student film thing. Either, like, they didn't put the least amount of work into this, and they're just lazy, and they're just like, oh, PhD's a doctor. They're all doctors. She should be an MD, or, you know, she should have... I mean, hopefully it's, she doesn't have her PhD. I, I hope she has some sort of, of medical license. Or they're suggesting that they don't even have, like, the proper scientist behind it. But she seems like a smart person, I suppose. Again, all of the female characters really don't do a whole lot here and are pretty weak characters, which is not my favorite thing in the world. But this or that, they break in, 
she goes and talks to a security guard while he gets in and he sees his homeless friend who basically sits outside the bodega and he breaks her out and that's when the symbiote gets into Tom Hardy. Now what's interesting is this is really where the film begins. Like this is the film that everyone wants to watch. They want to watch Venom. They want to watch Tom Hardy be crazy and have this parasite talking to him. And this doesn't happen until an hour into the film almost, which is a bit weird that you would spend all of this time before. Like that, that does, that's what you want to see. You want to see in the first 10 minutes. I mean, even in the first uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man films, I'm pretty sure he's bitten within 30 minutes. He's, he's bitten pretty early and, you know, he develops his powers pretty quickly. So it's, uh, it's a bit strange, I think, to just you know, spend all of this time developing uh, all this exposition that really honestly doesn't matter all that much. I think you could cut out probably the first 30 minutes and still have honestly a better film than the one that we got. But he finally gets Venom and he's running around and there's this, you know, motorcycle chase where, you know, him he's like talking to Venom. And, or does the motorcycle chase happen later? I can't remember. I know that it gets away and he has like, you know, he's He's super strong and all that. And he goes to see a doctor and they do the MRI thing and that's where they find out. Oh yeah, yeah, because they do the MRI thing and that's where they find out that the sound, like the high frequency sound, like affects Venom. And so he, you know, Tom Hardy's just trying to figure out and he's just being his crazy self. And again, a nod to Tom Hardy for just being absolutely wild and just diving, you know, headfirst into this insane performance and a really fun performance at that. I think it'd be really easy with another actor to kind of fail at this performance because again the characters aren't really that strong the script isn't great and so the fact that they have such good performances really uh nods to both Riz Ahmed and uh, Tom Hardy as actors along with all the other actors who are given not the best stories in the world or character development so Tom Hardy's going around being crazy and they go and attack his house Riz Ahmed realizes that Tom Hardy has it and goes in or Eddie Brock, whatever. And what's interesting is by this point, Riz Ahmed knows exactly how to stop Venom. He knows how to kill it. So why doesn't he, right? He knows Riz Ahmed by this point, and they actually show a scene where he uses sound frequencies to almost kill one of the viruses, or parasites, or whatever, aliens, whatever you want to call them. And yet he just sends guys with guns, which is just like, what's the logic there? I mean, I get like maybe like going in, you're like, oh, he's going to react like all the others and he's like sickly and lethargic and all this. But I don't know if you know exactly how to stop him. And I get that like, you don't want to kill it, but just use the sound to separate the two and then capture it much easier. Why they don't do that is never really explained. <laughs> and to be honest, yeah, there's no logic at all to why he doesn't do that. Now, it does create for a, a fun chase scene. And I'll say the fight sequences are fine. I mean, they're... They're fine. They're, they're neither bad nor good. They're just, like, average. I've definitely seen worse fight scenes. I've definitely seen better fight scenes. They're just, uh, I think of, um, you know, the film Atomic Blonde, which is not a great film, but has incredible fight sequences in it. This doesn't have that cool fight sequences, but they do get creative sometimes with Venom, although they do kind of stick to your normal, just like, oh, it's a big fist, or, you know, he's reaching this way or that way. I think they could be a bit more creative with how they use Venom, and I hope in this new film that they are more creative with that. But nonetheless, he fights off all these people, they go on this motorcycle chase, they're sending drones after him, and I love kind of the argument between Venom and Tom Hardy. I actually think that's the most interesting relationship, is Venom and Tom Hardy's relationship, because it's a really interesting and strange relationship that is 
probably my favorite one of the whole film. And they're basically arguing back and forth, and they're helping each other out, getting from one place to the other. And one of the th problems, I think, with this part of the film, and perhaps the film as the whole, is it never really explains why Venom stays with uh, Eddie Brock. It's very clear why Eddie Brock, I mean, Eddie Brock can't do anything. That's very clear. And, you know, whenever Eddie Brock asks Venom, just says, oh, I like you. Like, that's it. Which is, um, it's just lazy film screenwriting, if I'm being completely honest. It's just lazy filmmaking. Like, just give him a reason to be with Eddie Brock. Like, maybe, like, oh, like, you have to match with certain people, or you have to have certain kind of things. I don't know. Give him something. Make it up. It's a superhero movie. You can literally say whatever you want. I just want a reason. Just any reason why he stays with Eddie Brock. Because it's not like Eddie Brock is super smart, or he understands certain things. He's just like, there's just no good reason for Venom to stay with him. But he does, which is, you know fine, I guess. So they get away, they have this argument, and at this point he wants to go back to this uh, media company they used to work at, and like he puts his phone, right, he, he gives his phone to, uh, or supposedly where the head of the media company works, like his office. Which, again, does this world not have social media? Because if you're Eddie Brock, put it on your Instagram, put it on your Twitter, put it on YouTube, just put it on Google. I mean, I get it that you don't perhaps are established like you used to, but, I mean, does this world not have social media? I guess perhaps this world just doesn't have social media, which is fine. I mean, we can build a modern world that doesn't have social media, but if it doesn't have social media, you kind of have to explain that, because the assumption is that this is basically the modern world, and if you don't have social media, this kind of thing that's built a lot of the modern world, um, maybe, like, explain that, or, you know, just, like, a nod to it, or say something about it, which... They don't do, which is fine, I guess. And so he comes back down, and there's another fight scene, and he's killing all these cops. And again, there's kind of, um, you know, this fun banter between uh, Eddie Brock and Venom, and the kind of back and forth, which is a, a genuinely good time. And the fight sequence is fine, I guess. It's not great. It, it's kind of one of those problems where you have this sort of Venom character who pretty much is invincible. I mean, obviously he has weaknesses, fire and sound, but they'd never really make much of it or much use of it until the very end, which, you know, you could obviously see that that's foreshadowing at the end, especially when, you know, he, for some reason, tells Anna his other weakness is fire. Like, there's no reason to tell her that. And I get that, like, he trusts her or whatever. But that scene ends and they take Eddie to the hospital where they separate the two and Tom Hardy's like, I'm done, I'm over being with you, which is, again, just a fun relationship between the two because it's kind of ridiculous and the fact that Tom Hardy is willing to give this over-the-top but genuine performance is just another nod to the greatness that is Tom Hardy. And so everyone's moving in their different directions and Venom escapes and goes into a dog and we later find out that Venom transfers to... Uh, Anna, which is kind of badass, and I, I'd like to see more of that. But while this is happening, Eddie is finally caught because he doesn't have Venom anymore, and we realize that Riz Ahmed, not too much earlier in the film, has gotten symbiosis with Carnage. Now, I'm fine with, with picking Carnage, and that's fine and all good, but like in the comic books, they're all like different colors. I think Carnage is red, why not make him red or just any other color? Because when one's black and one's just slightly less black, it, it's kind of just like two monsters fighting with each other. And you're not really sure who's who. And so they do that classic um, 
supervillain thing they've seen in pretty much every James Bond movie and even in Austin Powers where instead of just killing Eddie Brock and just finishing things he is like oh I'm gonna walk away and let someone else do the killing why literally not a single good reason to do that like at least give him an excuse it, it's just simple just just give him an excuse to leave the room it's just it frustrates me because at best it is lazy filmmaking and nothing more than that they just didn't want to put the effort into it which is just frustrating and then they do the next thing which is instead of killing him there they take him out into the woods and spend multiple minutes and you know tom harry kind of makes the jokes are you gonna walk me to death which it's a little tongue-in-cheek and, and fun but also just kill him just kill eddie brock like i get you kind of have to get venom to him but why not just have anna break into the facility why not have her give him venom there why go through all of this extra effort to keep Eddie Brock alive only to kill him. It just doesn't make sense. And there's just so many easy fixes that it is <sighs> quite frustrating. But Venom kills all of these people, and then Van uh, Anna and Brock kiss, transferring Venom back into Eddie Brock. And then there's the sort of final fight sequence, and Anna's like, hey, can I come with? And they're like, no, it's too dangerous. Which... Again, kind of just pushing female characters off to the side. And so then Venom and Eddie Brock, who are, I guess, the same, sort of, go to fight Carnage slash Riz Ahmed. And at this point, Tom is like, hey, wh why are you, like, on my side? I thought you wanted to take us over. They want to take all humans over. And um, there's actually this really good moment that I, I, I actually enjoy. And I kind of wish they would have explored more and shows the humanity of all these characters, which is, um, Venom says, on my world, I'm kind of a loser, like you. Which, of course, is, you know, funny and quirky, but it also gives Venom real motivations for wanting to stay on Earth, for feeling left out, for not feeling like a part of the, you know, team, of, you know, feeling lesser than, uh, of that feeling of, you know, everyone's better than me, and I, I think that's really interesting and of course there's this funny joke he's like you know what what are our chances exactly of beating carnage and he's like oh probably zero Tommy's just like let's go do it and i think it's it's a bit aware which is fun um i don't think the film is as aware as it should be of kind of superhero films and how ridiculous they are but it is a little bit aware aware and does you know touch on that just a bit and then we have the final fight scene between carnage and Venom, which just isn't fun at all. It's just like these, like you have no idea like, you know, who's winning the fight, especially because they look so similar and it's just like these two invincible characters fighting each other and there's no sense of physics or like, you know, pain or like, you know, at least with when you have people fighting, you can see like, oh, you know, this person's knocked down, that person's knocked down. You can see who's winning, who's losing. You can see them getting weaker. But in this, you don't really see that, which is just pretty boring. And then, of course, Anna comes in and she's like, oh, I'll play dirty, I'll play sound. Which, I mean, cool, I guess. Although, how do you not... Because they're, they're high up. How does that not kill... Like, how does that fall not kill both Riz Ahmed and Eddie Brock? Tom Hardy, whatever. I don't know. And then, you know, Riz Ahmed and Tom Hardy fight, which they're both, like, exceptional fighters. I mean, like, you know, good, you know, acting and, you know, able to study this kind of martial arts, but also, like... Why are they go so good at fighting? They shouldn't be. These are people who, I mean, maybe Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy definitely, Eddie Brock definitely has been in a couple of scrapes before, but Riz Ahmed's probably never fought a day in his life. So it's kind of silly that there is even a fight between the two of them. Then Riz Ahmed gets Carnage back and jumps into the plane, 
which makes me wonder, wait a minute, did the sound stop playing or did they like break like the speakers? They never show that part either, which again, it's just like, it's one insert. It's just such an easy thing to fix. And the fact that they don't is uh, frustrating to say the least. But he breaks into the plane, starts flying, or rocket ship, whatever, starts flying away. Venom gets back with Tom Hardy, right as Tom Hardy's about to die and brings him back to life. And, which just the only thing that isn't really explained. And they destroy the rocket ship and the two of them fall away. And it is assumed that both Carnage and Venom are dead. And Hardy uh, gets away, basically. And we have another cut to basically, you know, a future time. It's a conversation between uh, Eddie Brock and Anna. And they're just like, oh, should we talk about that kiss? They're like, no, no, no let's not talk about that kiss. Our our sexual relationship will, will stay hidden from the other boyfriend who, um, like the, the, the surgeon is a really good person. Like he is kind, he is wealthy, he is very good looking. He literally has everything going for him and there's no reason why she would pick Eddie Brock over him. But I guess you can buy into the idea that, well, love is a bit silly and often we love the wrong people or we don't choose the people that are logical so that i'm not too concerned about although why she likes eddie brock is never really clear and you know when she breaks up and she says you know you're this you're that and that and that right all these things are wrong with him but she's like but i loved you but why do you love him like give us a reason why you love him because you don't just love someone to love someone i mean yes everyone has flaws but like i don't know I love my wife for a lot of reasons. It's not just because I love her. Like, there's reasons behind the love. Give us some of those, or at least at some point in the film, give us a reason to love Eddie Brock. Because it's not that he's a dislikable character. He's just not a likable character either. He's just kind of, yeah, if he dies, that sucks. But if he doesn't die, yeah. Like, you're kind of indifferent about Eddie Brock as a character. And, of course, we come to find out in the final scene that Venom is, in fact, alive. And, uh... At the bodega, the woman that Tom Hardy is friends with, uh, the, the robber that again tries to rob her, is this time eaten by Venom, which just gives like a nice uh, comeuppets, and it's a nice way to end the film. So, overall, I would give this film a 5 out of 10. It's not as high of a rating as I've given a lot of the Marvel films, and I just think that's because it feels a lot like a $200 million dollar student film and there's just a lot of lazy filmmaking going on which is my least favorite type of filmmaking bad filmmaking i can be okay with in murder party there's some bad filmmaking in there but that's okay because they're genuinely trying here it's just laziness they're just not putting any effort into it which is absolutely frustrating but unlike perhaps so many critics i had a fun time it's an enjoyable film it's not as funny as it thinks it is it's not as enjoyable as it thinks it is, but I never at any point you know, looked at how much time was left. I enjoyed every minute of it, and if I got to see it in theaters, I think I would have had a good time. Would I ever watch this film again? Absolutely not. And I'm gonna, am I gonna watch the next Venom movie, Venom Let There Be Carnage? Probably. Do I think it'll be any better than Venom? Probably not, but there's only one way to find out.